0: Scripture reading today is Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the, su- in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my, the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord, and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of of the Lord.
1: Thank you so much, Paul. Let's pray together as we examine the scriptures. Would you guide us, O God, by your word and your spirit, that in your light we might see light, in your truth we might find freedom, and that by your will we might discover your peace. We ask these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, uh, today's the third in a three-part series, so most of the fall we have been trucking very slowly through the New Testament letter of James. James is all about Christian maturity. So how do I grow in faith? How do I become a more mature Christian? Uh, not, not just, um, you know, somebody who, who kind of became a Christian and then went on with my life, but how do I really grow in my faith? but we reached a natural stopping point, and we're, gonna, uh, we're taking three weeks to examine what are called contemplative spiritual practices. These are practices, things we can do that can help us grow and mature in our faith. They're called contemplative because they involve contemplation, and anytime you think about contemplation, that means a, a couple of things. Let's just point out the obvious. Uh, contemplation is slow. You don't contemplate anything quickly. That's that, doesn't even make sense. Uh, contemplation is often uncertain. If you understood something, you wouldn't have to contemplate it. But contemplation means that, that we're still trying to figure things out. We still have room left to grow. Which means that contemplation involves a certain degree of humility. If you knew everything, you wouldn't have to contemplate. But if you don't, you have to be humble enough to admit that you don't know everything. And then we say it's a practice, so it's contemplative, but these things are practices too. Practices because they're ongoing. Um, It's not just athletes or musicians or uh, uh, physicians and lawyers say that they practice their profession. What does that mean? It means they're constantly learning. There's, there's new discoveries in medicine that they're learning about, or there, there are new advances in law, and the law is changing that they're learning about. So, contemplation means uh, we're still figuring it out, we're still on the road. Practice means that we're still figuring it out, we're still growing and developing. You never arrive, you never arrive in your faith. That's really important to remember. Our faith is really more like a crock pot than a microwave. Now we want it to be like a microwave, right? You want to get up and you just want to, and you know what's great about microwaves now? You don't even have to enter how much time you want. You just press the plus 30 seconds button until it, like we're so lazy that we don't want to press three zero start. We just want to push plus 30. One button. It's brilliant. That's how we want our faith to be. Just give me one button to push. In reality, contemplation is—it's like good barbecue. Those of you who've had good barbecue, you know it has to sit in a smoker for two at 200 degrees for at least 12 hours, and the longer it's in there, the better and more tender that meat gets. So we've been taking kind of a break and seeing that one of the keys to growth is actually slow growth, crockpot growth instead of microwave growth. We don't master these things in a week. And so it's a little odd and almost a little bit ironic that here I am preaching about one practice every week as though you could just hear about it once a week in one week and then be done with it. But that's not how it is. Um, I don't know how else else to do it. So that's how we're doing this at least. Uh, These are not three tips that make you a better Christian like a BuzzFeed article. They're three lifelong practices that will slowly shape you into the kind of person who grows with Christ. So to that extent, like we can think of these things as activities, things you do. We talked about listening and listening prayer the first week, and last week we talked about examine, which is allowing God to examine our hearts and surface our lives to us. Today we're going to talk about confession. We could think about just doing, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this thing tonight, but really it's just as helpful, maybe more helpful to think of them as postures of your heart. That every moment of your day would be somehow a moment of listening for God. And somehow every moment of your day would be a moment of inviting God in to examine you. And somehow every moment of your day would be a moment of confession. That's what we're going to look at this morning. It's worth noting, by the way, there's a progression in these three practices. First, we listen. That's kind of our way of signaling, okay, I'm open. Then we invite God to start rummaging through our soul and exposing to us what's going on really deep down. And then when stuff gets brought to the surface today, we'll find that we'll confess those things. And confession is the least comfortable of these three points. This is going to be the most depressing uh, of the sermons. It actually won't be depressing, but when we think about confession, it sounds depressing. It's, it's interesting to note, confession and depression rhyme. Isn't that amazing? It's uncomfortable because it means we have to come face to face with our sin and confront our sin. But what I hope we'll see, what I hope you'll see, what you'll come away with is the conviction that confronting our sin leads to life, not to death. It leads to life, not to death. In fact, the only way to the other side is through. There's no getting around. So this morning, we're really going to look at really kind of two questions. The first will be pretty quick. The second will be a little longer. One, why don't we confess? And number two, why should we confess? According to Psalm 32, which was written by David, according to David, according to God, why don't we confess? And why should we confess? We don't. Probably most of us don't make a regular practice. In fact, it's our, it's our normal practice to hide our sin, and we tend to do this one of two ways. Uh, some, pe- some of us believe that there's, there's really not even such a thing as sin. Ah, that's just, and we might want to couch it in different words. We might, well, I, sin, that, isn't that just a little bit harsh? Can we talk about weakness instead? Can we talk about imperfection instead? Can we talk about just ways that kind of slipped up and oh, nobody's perfect, right? Like, can we cut yourself some slack? But if sin isn't a real thing then I don't have to think about it, and I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to deal with the discomfort. But did you notice how often the word sin occurs just in Psalm 32? All throughout Scripture, the word sin comes up over and over and over, so we have to deal with it. The second approach, this comes from a lot, that first, you know, sin's not a real thing. You see this more from people who aren't Christians or don't claim to be Christians, although there are a number of Christians who just don't want to deal with it. The second approach comes more predominantly from people inside the church, from Christians, who don't deal with their sin by just, by just thinking of their faith as sin avoidance. Just give me some sin avoidance techniques. In other words, their approach to faith is mainly just do the right thing. And if I can just not sin, then I'll be righteous and I'll be okay. And so I'm a Christian because I do the right thing. You see? You ever heard somebody say, you ever thought that? You know somebody? I'm a Christian because I have good morals. I'm a Christian because I do what's, I follow the Ten Commandments, therefore I'm a Christian. In other words, I don't sin because I'm a Christian. But that's a perversion of the Christian faith, and we're going to see that in just a little bit. Because what it results in is hiding our sin, Think about it. If your faith, if your Christian identity is tied up in not sinning, but we all know that we all sin, what's that gonna do? It's gonna cause you to stuff your sin even further down and not deal with it. It's like shaking that proverbial soda bottle, just more and more and more pressure and not unscrewing the cap just a little bit to start letting that pressure off. If your Christian identity depends on how good you are, you will never confess your sin and you will never deal with it. Therefore, you'll never receive freedom from your sin. In fact, your experience is probably like how David describes. Look at verses 3 and 4. If you have your Bibles open or it's in your program, he says, When I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sin, my bones wasted away. That's a good image. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You know how it feels when it's the dead of summer and you just, ugh, I've just got no strength. When you don't confess your sin, it's a constant, usually very subtle, but always present grinding in your life, almost like bone on bone. The hand of God feels heavy. And even if you don't feel like the hand of God is on you, pushing you down, it feels like it's right above you and you better not mess up lest God's heavy hand should crush you. You'll never feel free or joyful or delighted like your strength is sapped in the heat of summer. What's the way out? David says, King David says it's simple. It's confessing our sin it's not trying to sweep it under the rug and pretending like it doesn't exist the dust you sweep under the rug is still there it's actually confessing it's to be honest about our sin and to confess it to god now later in james 5 james is going to talk about confessing our sin to one another we're not going to deal with that as much this morning because in psalm 32 the context has more to do with confessing to god But there are a lot of principles we can learn about confessing to one another. I'll allude to a couple of those. And then when we get to James 5, which at the pace we're going will be like a year and a half, then we'll get to that too. (laughs) Look at the contrast David paints between when we don't confess and when we do confess. Verses 3 and 4 again, when we don't confess. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped. Now listen to the results of confessing his sin. Isn't it interesting? This is how he actually starts, verses one and two. He says, Blessed, fortunate is he or she whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. You can also skip down to verse five. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. Now he's talking to God. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Hebrew scholars point out the word forgive, forgive or forgave occurs in verse 1 and verse 5. The, actual, the literal Hebrew, Hebrew word means to lift, it's, it has the, the connotation of God lifting a heavy boulder from your chest. That's one of the things confession does is it lifts the weight of your sin off of your chest. And did you notice how he ends verse 2? Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit is no deceit. Wait, what does deceit have to do anything with anything? He's saying when we don't confess, it's a, we're deceiving, well, someone. We're not, for, we're not deceiving God. I mean, he knows. Maybe we're trying to. Maybe we're trying to deceive someone else. I think most likely we're deceiving ourselves into thinking we have no sin. By the way, in First John, John says the exact same thing. He says, if anyone says, I have no sin, that person's a liar. That's John's words. But isn't this an odd little irony? Think about this. When you're honest about your sin, when you, when you wade into those uncomfortable waters, then God no longer holds your sin against you but the more you shrink back from it or try to just stuff it in the closet and shut the door like you do with that messy room when you're having guests over, the more you try to hide it from him, the more likely, by implication, it's going to hang over your head. When we confess, David says we are blessed, God blesses us, our sin is forgiven, that God doesn't hold it against us, And go through the whole thing and see what happens when we don't confess. We're depressed. Some scholars think David is talking about physical sickness. Now, this isn't to say all physical sickness is because we didn't confess. That's not what Scripture teaches. But it does seem to imply that some might be. It's not a guarantee, but it's a possibility. Do I need to repeat that? (laughs) (laughs) When we don't confess our sin, we're only hurting ourselves. When you don't confess your sin, you're only hurting yourself, you see? When I was in high school, I had a series of ear infections and they got so bad that I had to have a surgery to fix it and they literally, they had to like dig into, there's a bone back here that's kind of Spongy, not that it 's soft, but it has a lot of little cavities called the mastoid, and they had to scrape away the infected part of that bone. And so they had to do a lot of, a lot of work. And after uh, I woke up from the surgery, the surgeon explained, "You've got this little thing and it 's still in your ear, and you can actually see it. It's called packing, I think it was called. And I said, well, what is, why is it? why didn't you take it out?" He said, "Well, that actually keeps the wound open. Why would you do that? Don't you want this to heal?" He explained to me that if we didn't put that in, it's such a deep wound in your ear right now, that if we didn't do anything, your skin would heal over the wound, but then the wound, because your skin healed over, the wound itself wouldn't have a chance to fully heal. So he said, what we do is we put this material in to keep your skin from healing over. We keep the wound open so that the wound can fully heal from the inside. Confession hurts. Because we have to come face to face with our imperfection, our weakness, our sin. All the things we did that we shouldn't have done and said that we shouldn't have said and thought that we shouldn't have thought. And all the things that we didn't do or say or think that we should have done or said or thought. That hurts. But in reality, wading into that extra pain allows the wound, that deep wound of our sin, to heal all the way from the inside. If we don't, we'll just try to let it heal over on the outside, and it'll look fine. It'll look fine, but the wound will still be there festering. Or it's kind of like this. When you've been inside, you ever, you ever spent all day inside? Uh, it's a bright, sunny day, and maybe you're doing a lot of work in your cellar, or many of you call it the cella. How do you, by the way, how can E and A-R make almost the same vowel sound? That makes no sense. But So you're in the cellar all day long, and it's dark down there, and maybe you have a couple windows, and maybe it's a little bit damp, and it's a beautiful sunny day, and all of a sudden you step outside into the sunlight, and what happens? It's so bright, like your eye, your pupils are so big you have to cover your eyes because you, you can't handle the intense uh, light of the sun. Confessing our sin is kind of like stepping out of the cellar and into the sun. It's bright, it's uncomfortable, sometimes it's so bright it hurts. But do you really want to spend the rest of your life in the cellar? You you need to get outside. You need to get the fresh air, you see? You need the sunlight, it's going to hurt. It will be uncomfortable. You'll have to do this for a little while. But, you, but you, you know what happens, right? Eventually, like, you do adjust. And sometimes you're so fully adjusted that when you go back into the cellar, you think, man, it's dark in here. How did I ever spend the day in here? That brings up an important point, by the way. It's true of, of you know, light and how our eyes work, but it's true of our souls. Wherever you put yourself, you will adjust. That can be either really good news or really bad news. If you keep putting yourself in the sunlight, you will adjust. Your eyes will adjust, and eventually it won't be uncomfortable and it won't hurt anymore because it will just cleanse you. Or, the longer you spend in the basement, the more you will, or excuse me, the cellar, the more you will adjust. And you'll get so used to that that you won't realize that it's sunny and 75 and not a cloud in the sky outside. You won't even realize what you're missing. Where do you want to be? Do you want to stay in the cellar, or do you want to step out into the sun? A few weeks ago I learned about the difference between uh, what are called bounded sets and centered sets. This is a math concept that I'd never heard of, but in the 1970s, um, a Christian scholar named Paul Hebert, he studied uh, world missions, applied um, the concepts of bounded sets versus centered sets to uh, Christian, um, the Christian life here's the basic, I'm not an expert, maybe if any of you know about this, maybe you can correct me after the sermon on all the things I get wrong here. A bounded set, a set is just a group of anything. So say a set of numbers. And in a bounded set, it's a group of numbers that all fit a certain parameter. So, so maybe it's helpful to think of it not so much as numbers, but people. A bounded set uh, like we in here are a bounded set. We're all in this room. And therefore, we are all part of the same set. Or imagine the the boundary of a certain set is the city of Portsmouth, the city line. So every person, all 20,000 people or so, who currently are inside the city um, line of the city of Portsmouth are in this bounded set. Does that make sense? A centered set is a group of values, or in this case people, that depends not so much on where you currently are, but where you're going. So it's a difference between a point and a vector. A vector has a point, but it also has movement. It has direction. A centered set is defined by movement towards a common center point. So in a centered set, it would mean anybody, say the the center of the set, we have to get more specific than Portsmouth now. Let's say the center of the set is market square. A centered set, everybody who's part of that set, is anybody who's moving towards market square. And everybody who's not moving towards market square, whether they're standing still or moving tangent or moving away from, is not part of that set. Why do I share that? So many of us think that the Christian faith is a bounded set. There's a set of boundaries, the walls, the rules, the law, the Ten Commandments, morals, whatever you want to call it. And as long as I find myself somewhere in that bounded set, I'm... I'm fine. I'm all set. (laughs) As long as I follow the rules, but here's the danger. As long as I follow the rules just enough, I'm okay. I can be right on the boundary's edge and I I can kind of flirt with the boundary, but as long as I stay just inside the boundary, then I'm okay. I don't have to worry. I can be way down on Lafayette Road, right on the Rye town line. No offense to Rye, but as long as I'm within town lines, I'm fine. You see the problem with that? Here's one problem with that. You can actively be moving away from the center and still be in the bounded set. This isn't totally universal, but for the purposes of of this morning, it's so much more helpful for us to think about our faith not as a bounded set, but as a centered set, which is to say it, it almost doesn't matter where you find yourself right now It matters where you're looking and where you're going. We have a center point. His name is Jesus Christ. And he lived and he died as a ransom for our sin and he rose again from the dead miraculously in order to give us life and to give us victory over sin and death. Our faith is not just about getting within the boundary and then kind of, Whatever. If Christianity were a bounded set, then you can, you see, then you can be moving away from Jesus and still be a Christian. That doesn't, how can you be a follower of Jesus when you're moving away from him? But our faith is not about where do you currently find yourself? It's about where are you going? Which direction are you, are you moving towards the center? Are you moving towards Jesus Christ? See, the beauty of a centered set, like you could be in Rhode Island and be in the centered set. As long as you're coming towards Market Square, as long as you're making your way north. The beauty of confession is that it teaches us, I don't care where you find yourself right now. I don't care how far you find yourself from God. When you begin to confess, and through your confession, God begins to draw you closer to Himself, you become a part of the set. God's not so worried about where you are right now, He's worried about where you're going. He's worried about where you're going. Don't think that you can just kind of hang out and take it easy and languish somewhere in the bounded set. You see, confession is movement towards God. When we confess, God draws us closer to himself. That's movement towards Christ. So as we confess our sin, we become a part of the centered set. In bounded set, you see the difference? In bounded set thinking, you never have to confess as long as you're just good enough to stay within the boundaries. You don't have to. In centered, set thinking, confession is it's a non-negotiable. You can't, you can't not confess your sin. Why? Because that's what God uses to draw you closer to himself. That's how you become a more mature Christian, as James would put it. Which means what? That if confession is what God uses to draw you closer to himself, then confession is not about depression it's not about guilt. It's not about feeling bad about yourself. Or it's not about feeling sorry for yourself. It's not about beating yourself up. It's about life. Because when you confess your sin, God is, he is eager. He, he longs to forgive your sin. And he jumps at the chance. It's not like he's sitting in a corner saying, you better confess and you better do it right. And if you do it right, fine. No. I mean, the minute you like start, like, God, I Yes! Yes, I forgive you, he says. Yes, that's just, it's, who he, it's his nature. It's who he is. He can't not. Remember from last week? like God is for you. He longs for you to come close to him. He longs to give you life and freedom and joy. He longs to lift that boulder from your chest. If only you'll just like start asking him, and it's done. When you don't, I mean, at some level, whether you have the self-awareness to realize it or not, if you don't confess, you'll say with King David, my, my bones wasted away. My strength was sapped. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. And when we do, we rejoice with David just as he starts, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. This, by the way, all this is why we, I don't know if you've noticed, we have a time of confession in our worship service every single week. You notice this? Every week, call to renewal, prayer of confession, assurance of pardon. Why do we do the same thing every single week? Why? Because all three parts are critical. In some ways, they're modeled after Psalm 32. You notice that that David doesn't start, he kind of gets the order backwards. You would think that the order would be, oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm just dirt, I'm rotten, I'm a worm. Okay, and you forgave me. That's not how he starts. How does the psalm start? Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. So we start with a call to renewal that reminds us God longs to forgive those who confess their sins. It gives us an incentive in a sense. Then we confess, that's kind of the meat of the matter And then lastly, we hear the assurance of pardon. Once again, it's the necessary last step. Just like in Psalm 32, it ends, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. Notice David's connecting righteousness and confession. He says, it's not that the righteous are the people who never sin, because that's impossible. We all sin. He says, the righteous are the people who sin and confess their sin. And so we have an assurance of pardon because you... You need to hear, I need to hear out loud, in words, your sins are forgiven. That's why I say it every single service. There's nothing special about the fact that it's a pastor saying it. It could be your friend saying it, it could be your spouse, your parents, your kids. It doesn't matter. But there's something in us that needs to hear the words out loud, your sins are forgiven, to experience the full life and joy of forgiveness. By the way, and this is a little teaser for, you know, whenever we get to James 5, this is why it's so important to confess to one another because you give your brothers and sisters in Christ a chance to tell you your sins are forgiven, which means you will more fully experience the life and joy of following Jesus. You won't be suffocated by your sin. Righteousness because of Jesus doesn't mean not sinning. That's not possible. It means confessing our sin and receiving the forgiveness of Jesus the Messiah. Will you confess your sin? Each of the three sermons in this series, we've um, finished with a little bit of practice, and so we're going to finish with a little bit of practice this morning. This is going to feel kind of like the examine that we did last week. That's, there's just a lot of bleed over. They're not really distinct in some ways, and you may have noticed confession is actually a part of the examine that we laid out last week. But I'm just going to walk you through just a quick period of confession. There's nothing magical about the words or the process, but just a way for our souls to be honest about ourselves, to be honest about our brokenness, and most importantly, to hear God say, your sins are forgiven. So as we enter into that time, would you just take a couple of moments of silence and allow that to center your soul? You might consider asking God to shine his light into your soul to illuminate all the dark corners and invite him to be present. Now think back over the past, I don't know, 18 hours or so, maybe yesterday afternoon and evening. Think about what happened. Where did you go? What did you do? What did you watch? Who were you with? What conversations did you have? Start with gratitude. What are you grateful for over the past 18 hours or so? What can you thank God for? Now, what didn't go the way you'd hoped? Did you have a conversation where you responded poorly? Did you not follow through on a certain commitment? Maybe you told someone off, even if it was just one of those imaginary conversations in your mind. Confess your sin to God. Be as specific as you can. Tell him you're sorry. Ask him to forgive you, to wipe your slate clean, and to lift that boulder from your chest. If it helps, you might imagine that Jesus himself Is sitting in the pew right next to you. How does Jesus respond when you confess your sin to him? What's his body language like? What's in his eyes? What does he say? Now hear Jesus look you, or I guess imagine Jesus looking you in the eyes. It's hard to look him in the eyes sometimes, but have the courage. Look him in the eyes. Hear him say to you, By name, I forgive you. And feel the boulder lifted from your chest. Now take a moment to ask him to draw you close, to keep you close. Take just a couple more moments and express anything else to him that might be on your heart.
0: Amen.